Welcome to episode 11 of the AFA GenXt podcast. My name is Ashley Mahadia, the National Chair of the GenXt Community of Practice and your host for this episode. A big thank you to the AFA for allowing us to host this podcast and to our supporting partner, Advice Intelligence, for powering this episode. Understanding and identifying the best licensing solution for your practice can be complex and challenging. The aim of this episode is to shed some light on the factors to consider when choosing your licensing path. We speak to Rachel Bell from Affinia Financial Advisors and Alex Uvrad from My Dealer Services. Rachel and Alex, welcome to the AFA GenX podcast. Thank you, Ash. Great to be here. Thanks, Ash. Thanks for having us, me. Alex, can you please set the scene by talking about the current licensing model? Yeah, sure. So, um, look, the current regime or structure where we're within started back in 2002. So 20 years now, we've been under the FSR, which is where licensing was born out of. Um, licensing, I believe as an industry, it probably played three main roles from, from its inception. Um, the first of those was the uh, mass aggregation and distribution of product through different channels. Um, but largely as we exist now, um, that can no longer happen uh, as a feature. Number two, it allowed for the mass aggregation um, and offering of different services, including compliance from licensees. Um, and many of these we've seen over the last few years and created huge and great synergies and efficiencies within dealer groups, licensees and filtering down to practices. And then third of all, and without being too cynical about it, it allowed a, a structure whereby the regulator could put the monitoring and supervision of advisors into a select number of licensees, um, which whereby they didn't have to individually provide the, the, the bottom ground oversight to these practices, it was done on the licensee level. So I think as we sit here today, we've got a different environment that we're all working within. We've largely got the same structure, which is what, what we're gonna talk about today. Um, and there are a few options for advisors, which we're gonna explore today about how they license themselves and their practices and which offerings um, best suit them and of course, the main focus on what allows them to best service their clients. So the, the licensing structure as we sit here today has been around for 20 years. However, the environment with a lot of legislative compliance and otherwise changes is very different and the two are not really aligning. And what type of practices would suit self-licensing versus being licensed uh, by dealer group, like we call them, Rachel? Um, I think... If you're going to be looking at, um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to answer the the side from like the dealer group licensees. Um, you, for those who uh, have got the resourcing, um, that be you know people and financial, I believe they uh, they would be probably more suited um, for the self license. For the if you don't have that, um, you'd be looking at joining a licensee dealer group or yeah licensee dealer group model. Um, I guess as well, 
it would suit those who really want to focus on being business owners who don't necessarily want to try and pull all bits together, um, their own corporate governance, etc. who just want to focus on their, their clients and their business as opposed to, I guess, running a license. Um, it's pretty tough going. Alex, for self-license practices? Uh, what practices would, self, would suit self-licensing? Um, I, I completely concur with, with Rachel there. I think the practices that are set up with good systems, processes and procedures are the ones that can make the transition to self-licensing. I think those are happy, those that are happy with a bit more freedom in what they are doing and how they do it. Um, the industry is changing and practices need to evolve with it. So I think it's, it's, it's um, very important for practices to be flexible and dynamic. And it's also for those that are willing to plug into a support service and environment. Dealer groups um, have been very good at creating communities underneath them in which advisors are part of um, a, a automatic network of other advisors and collaboration that comes out of that. So groups that are suited to self-licensing have to be open to exploring the same proposition within the self-licensed environment. And then I think, uh, and it's kind of in line with what Rachel said there as well, I think it's practices and or advisors who are probably on the more experienced side of things um, and therefore have had time to build their business and practice and, and are not afraid of implementing change or, or pivoting when legislation or compliance requires. Totally, I agree with that. And just to add to that as well, I guess the type of, like if you're gonna flip it around, the type of practice which wouldn't be um, suitable to, to flip out of the dealer group model into the self-license would be probably those who are only moving, only moving because they're not happy with the licensee's compliance requirements, because that in itself is a bit of a worry. I mean, there's got to be a hell of a lot of other reasons and, and you know, and backing and infrastructure and behind your practice and reasonings in behind why you're wanting to move as opposed to just the compliance, because um, that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. And Rachel, what are the key benefits of being licensed via a dealer group? I think Alex just touched on one of my, my in my opinion, um, would be the community, um, the camaraderie. So we've just come off the back of our conference. It was pretty awesome. It was in Hamilton Island. And, you know, we've been also isolated for the past few years. It was, it, I think I forgot how fantastic and what an important part of um a licensee or a, like a dealer group licensee um, brings to the table with this. We had a room full of advisors. The energy was absolutely fantastic. I mean, I've been to so many um, industry um, events, but this was something a bit special. It was really, um, yeah, the, the connections that were made in that room and that are still going to over the past few months and people are starting to um, get more of a spring in their step since being um, in the room together. Um, so also you, we've got a, you know, licensees have got a pretty highly developed operating model where you put everything together, everything, everyone's working together, um, all the staff within the licensee are working together to develop the, um, what they're offering to the advisors. So we're all in synergy and that kind that would help. And that does help through this ever-changing, um, environment we're finding ourselves in, um, I guess also running a licensee isn't easy and most licensees are pretty good at it. Um, like dealer group licensees are pretty good at it. So um, yeah, that leaves more time for the advisors, I guess, to look after their clients. And I guess we're touching, I guess, a bit on PI cover. 
I think when it comes to um, PI, uh, it can tend to be quite expensive um, going straight to um, straight to the PI insurer. So we as a licensee and licensees out there are able to negotiate down. Um, it's going up and up and regardless of the amount of claims or any claims, if you've never claimed, it's still gonna go up. Um, from what I've heard from one of my practices, I don't know if this is 100% true, um, when they left, um, their PI cover doubled. Um, so yeah, there's some of the main ones. There's other smaller ones. Uh, there's other ones as well, like distribution agreements that can tend to be some um, issues with some practices um, going direct as well as tripartite agreements, et cetera, for um, financing it tends to be a little quite advantageous being part of a license, a dealer group licensee. They're the main ones, <laughs> Alex. Yeah, Ash, if I, if I move on to, I guess if I flip Rachel's question on its head and answer a question about the benefits of self-licensing, um, let's talk structurally later, but I believe the industry largely, let's talk compliance because it's always the first thing that comes up. It's what advisors and practices are worried about. Um, if we look at the current structure, we've got three levels of compliance and this is where the problem starts. We've got legislation set by government. We've got regulation administered by ASIC and then we've got licensee standards on top of it. And advisors have three levels of, of compliance, all at some time or another conflicting with each other to try and play within and, and abide by the rules to, at the end of the day, run their practice and service their clients. It just doesn't work. Um, Self-licensing allows you within the realms of the first two layers to set your own licensee standards. Um, it brings freedom. Look, I, I don't like the, the phrases that are always bandied around. We talk about freedom and control your own destiny. They're a little bit cliche and things like that, but it does allow you to really explore different products, services and offerings out there, which can be bound and restricted within a dealer group. Um, a dealer group's a tough proposition. It's got to run a business with however many, sometimes hundreds of advisors underneath it. So self-licensing allows you to explore different services and offerings um, and concentrate on what works best for you. As Rachel said, that then brings in the other side that you need the resources and the infrastructure to be able to properly implement that. Um, and it's no easy feat. Um, look, it, it means, I guess, self-licensing is you are a true intermediary between the client and that of your strategy or product recommendation. There's no layer there that's, that's restricting that or otherwise. But then again, that comes with its own benefits and its own problems. So I think today, and what I like about the discussion today is it's not about one versus the other. It's about um, truly exploring what it means to be one or the other. Um, look within self-licensing, and we've seen it before, and I think it's a bit unfortunate, you don't have the associative risks of other advisors. With dealer groups in the past that have got themselves into trouble and advisors as a byproduct um, sitting underneath the authorization have really been affected. Um, both in the public and by the regulator. And that's a real shame because it's got, and many, many of the time it's got nothing to do with that advisor or that practice, yet they're dragged in um, through, through that associative risk. Um, and then I guess the, the other one is, and again, these are all pros and cons and everything else, is that you don't have to run off a rule book, which is being made to aggregate 100 or 200, however many advisors underneath it. Yeah. It's your practice and it's your clients. Um, and it gives you the flexibility to do that. So the benefits of self-licensing, um, I think I've covered there, but you know, it's, it's a process. 
and it, it needs structure and it needs support to be able to set it up properly and effectively. Yeah, look, in a lot of our advisors or well, my advisors have asked, you know, why why have why have Afinia put these these um, rules and these stipulations? Like the legislation says this, why are we having to do this now? You know, having said that, we are starting to strip back a lot of that now. We we know what this new environment is like, but you know, the answer is exactly what you said. It's like we are having to cater for for everybody. Now, you may be you may have the most strict the strictest um, framework in your own practice, but we have to cater for the for the for the advisor here who may, may be a little less strict um, in their own practice and, um, you know, monitor them and the same as we'd monitor you. So, yeah, there is a bit of that definitely in, in um, the dealer group model. And Rachel, have you had any cases where advisors went back to a dealer group, so to Afinia from self-licensing? No, I haven't. I've, you know, even, uh, like I've asked this question around, look, they're, there's there's one that was mentioned to me from by somebody um i think as well once someone's made the jump over they're not going to come they probably wouldn't come back to like it would be a bit of a uh, um yeah they wouldn't come running back to a, a licensee i think they'd probably look at alternatives as opposed to you know coming back it wouldn't look uh, particularly good i i haven't heard of it um from from my perspective no and Alex, how do you ensure that uh, the practices coming to you seeking help to get their own license, how do you ensure that they are ready to make that plunge? Yeah, I think Ash, first and foremost, is at my dealer services, we're not about selling people into their own license. It's about facilitating people who are exploring getting their own license and talking them through the process of what's involved in getting the license. And then more importantly, what's involved in the process after they get their license. Now, how do we ensure that people understand what that is? Um, it's two very easy answers and the second one's better than the first, unfortunately. The first answer is we go through a pretty in-depth um, program at the start of getting them to fill out questionnaires. We have meetings with them. We explain the whole process. We go through all the ins and outs of compliance requirements and ASIC and regulations and everything else. So our main um, function of the business when we first talk to practices is purely and utterly education. And we spend a lot of time educating them on what it is to be self-licensed. And what that means is that, we, you know, four out of 10 conversations we have, we end it by saying, look, self-licensing is not for you, in our opinion. And there's nothing wrong with that. At the end of the day, advisors and or practices are looking for guidance and they're looking for people to help them. Um, so I think that's very important. Um, the second part of how we ensure people understand what they're getting themselves into. And it's it's the best answer I can give and it's got nothing to do with me. Speak to people who have done it. We've helped over 300 practices. We've got 80 AFSLs that use our ongoing services. Um, we can give you names, numbers of just being through it or people have been through it two years ago. And as much as you probably don't wanna to listen to me or, or the staff at my dealer services, go talk to the real advisors and licensees doing it because they're on the ground, they're living it, they're breathing it, they're working it, and I can't beat that. Great answer. And uh, compliance being such a key component of the whole financial advice process, how do self-licensed practices uh, tackle compliance versus li uh, practices licensed through a dealer group? Rachel, we'll start with you. 
Um, I, I can mainly comment on how the practices would, the the last practices who are licensed through a dealer group would would tackle it. So I think they pretty they are one hundred percent guided by us and our and our frameworks. I mean, I can I can give examples of how we run the compliance and how our compliance framework, but um, but that's not really the question you're asking. It's more how the advisor would tackle it. Um, they'd be relying on our communication through um, the our swiftness to to act as far as um, you know looking at what the legislative change and is, and um, they would be operating within the frameworks and the guidance that we give them. Um, and then you know whether it, depending on the licensee, um, you know they would be going through um, you know, some sort of vetting and they'd be co and coaching as what we call it. Um, you know, there'd be a lot of handholding for those practices that may need it, or, you know, we, we, you know, we take the brakes off a little bit for those who um, don't require the handholding. So they are completely, um, probably they're completely reliant on, on our licensee standards um, for, for their compliance. Alex? Ash, I'm going to be a little bit candid here because it's the reality. Um, there's, two, there's two different levels to this. There's how do self-licensed advisors administer compliance with the new task of being a licensee? And that is, you know, part of our process of setting up a license for somebody, we set up the compliance framework for that licensee to operate within. They've never done that before. So all those policies and procedures are something that they need to get used to, and we work with them to do that. I think the more specific question is about how they deal with advisor compliance. The reality is, and it's just the way it is, is they work off their existing system. Wherever they've come from will be their benchmark starting point of their compliance as an advisor under their new license. Um, that's where they start off. That's where the license starts. And then what happens, and it's a really interesting evolution to watch and work through, is they then start after a few months maybe even after a year, they start developing their own licensee standards and licensee um, policies and procedures, which are more in line with what they want to do and how they want to do it. And they need the support there. I keep harping on it, but they need the support of somebody outside um, to help them form and mould that. But look, the reality and the question is they always start from where they came from. They don't, you know, they're not new at this. Um, and we've all got legacy that we bring with us. So that's how it starts. And then I think the most important one, and maybe what your question is getting at as well, is compliance can only be so well monitored from within. And it goes back to what Rachel said there in that, you know, her advisors within Affinia will look to Affinia for guidance about compliance and changes and regulation and how to implement it. And that's the huge support level that's there through Affinia as a dealer group. And likewise with us as a support provider, we've got to be that support network as well to say these are the changes, this is how you implement it, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a very interesting dynamic because one's done on an aggregate basis, um, which can be a lot easier to distribute and, and to form. And another one's done on a practice licensee by licensee level. So that's, that's quite a really interesting dynamic of the two propositions we're discussing today. Let's talk a little bit about technology, about advice tech. Do you see advice tech being a major factor for advisors when choosing a licensing solution going forward? We'll start with you, Rachel. 
look, I think if you asked me this question a couple of years ago, I would say totally. Like, you know, they would, you know, there's, they would, you know, there's, a, there's choice out there and advisors wanted more choice. They want to be out, they want the freedom to be able to use whatever tech they, they, they would like. But more recently, I've found that the trend where, you know, you had these practices that have these huge tech stacks and they're managing it and, you know, with the complexities that that brings and also um, the, their need to have um, I guess almost another staff member to, to manage the crazy tech stacks that are put together. Um, and then there's, then there's, I guess, comes the confusion with the amount that, uh, of the choice which is out there, um, coupled with, then with the amount of the fatigue we've had for over the past few years of all the, the, the change. I think we've they've almost got to the point where they're like, yeah, look, tech's important, but almost want some guidance um, and being told what that what what to do. Um, look, we we ran a tech week um, about a month or two months ago, and um, we know we showcased a few providers out there because you know we we do allow at Affinia anyway. We do allow advisors to use. Um, you know, they don't, we're pretty tech agnostic, um, so we do allow advisors to use different platforms. Um, However, we showcased a few uh, providers and look, the uptake wasn't great because I think while we showcased them, we didn't actually, like they want to know, they, they want us almost to go, okay, this is what you do and this is going to be the best way forward for you. So it's, um, yeah, I think they're just a little bit, little bit over the choice and they just want a little bit more guidance and help with, with their tech. Um, so I think... I think if you flip that around, I think if you you like someone's going to join a particular licensee where they may use a, I'm just going to pick something out of the air, like something like a coin, and they're really a ad, they really don't want to use coin, they're probably just not going to join that licensee, um, as opposed to you know, um, say shopping around for a licensee which is going to allow them to have a whole lot of freedom. I don't know that that's my opinion anyway. Alex. Uh, I actually concur with, with Rachel there. I think, um, I think technology is absolutely critical in our industry. Everyone's looking for the silver bullet um, to allow them to do everything whenever they want and no one's found it. So it's, a, it's always a pressure point. It's always a point of um, interest in any discussion we have. We just had a series of lunches around the country where everyone was asking everyone else in the room who they use for technology please help me, how do we do it? So what I'm trying to say by that is I agree 100% with Rachel in that I think as an industry, and, and we all want flexibility in technology, we want the ability to use what we perceive to be the best system, if we can. But I think more than that, advisors are saying, I'm happy, I've chosen you as a licensee or I've chosen you as a provider, um, choose a technology that works for me, help me implement it, help me use it, and I need to get on with doing other things in, in, in building my business. Mm. I think sometimes we're a bit spoiled with choice and taking up and having demos and webinars and different things. I think it's about aligning with someone that has conviction in what they've chosen, chosen as a software provider and allowing them to guide the advisors and or practices in how that's going to work for them. So will technology play a part? It's going to play 
a bigger role than it ever has before in the next three to five years. It, and it has to, because it hasn't in the last three to five years. So it is going to, but how much does it, does it play a role in people choosing a licensee solution? Um, I don't know, because I don't work in the, in the dealer group space, but all I'd know is that advisors and practices want to plug into a provider who is going <clears throat> to control and lead them through the technology piece of their practice. I think if you've got like, um, you know, what's happening or has happened, you know, a lot of switching around of licensees and licensees closing down and people who are actually quite happy with their tech solution, if they want to continue that with another licensee, they want to be able to bring that with them. I think that is, um, there does need to be a degree of flexibility with licensees for that perspective because um, being made to change a, the the being made to change your tech, so from X plan to something else or from coin to whatever, is actually quite a big, it's quite a big um, thing for a practice. It takes up a lot of time, resource, um, and uh, money. So yeah, it's I think from that perspective, it it could uh, influence where an advisor moves for a licensee. Um, so yeah, that's I think where 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 it would happen more. Yeah, Ash, just to, just to finish on that, Rachel's 100% right. One of the things that really frustrated us as a business is that um, the model of some of the dealer groups or, or, or whoever else licensees, doesn't matter, um, using their technology was such an inhibitor to moving. And we found people stuck where they were through a technology or software um, hook, which is, is not the right way, obviously, to do it. And, and the time, effort, and every, sometimes it's impossible to unplug yourself from that scenario. So I think we have to be much more plug and play, um, but it's about licensees and or providers creating the solution and, and almost running it for their advisors or practices. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, we'll end the podcast with a very open-ended question today. Um, Alex, we'll start with you. Uh, what is the future licensing model in your opinion? Dangerous question to ask me, Ash, especially at the end. Um, I've been on the record, both vocally and written it, that I believe the licensing structure doesn't work anymore. I don't believe it serves advisors, practices, and most of all, and what we should all be concentrating in is it doesn't serve the end client. Um, so I, I, I discussed at the, at the start of the podcast where licensing came from. Um, we're 20 years on from them. We're in a completely different environment. And after 2026, we are meant to be, um, through all intents and purposes, a profession. Um, a profession is, is signified by a minimum qualification and education standard. That's where we will be by 2026. And like other professions, namely the accountants, the lawyers, they all operate under the title of a profession with, minimal, with minimum qualifications, um, but they don't hold it and they don't need a license structure. So I'm an advocate and I believe we have to look towards self-registration with ASIC. It's how it works overseas. It actually works really effectively. Um, and whether you're self-licensed or part of a, a dealer group or licensee, um, those, those businesses and services and propositions are still going to exist. They're just going to be peeled back and different to what they are now. And if you look at dealer groups, just use them as an example, their most effective business model is the provision of services, software, compliance, um, practice development, all education, uh, 
you know, Rachel talked about the conference, all these things are not bound by or, or restricted to a license. So I believe, and this is my two cents, if it's even worth that, that we need to move away from a licensing structure and model and become self-registered with the regulator. And therefore there will be the emergence of service providers. Like we've discussed today, there will be the emergence of networks of advisors. But what I think is gonna be really interesting in that environment is instead of being linked to, um, let's use it specifically today to Affinia or, or another licensee or my dealer services, advisors are gonna be open to picking and choosing different aspects of different offerings. And I think we've already seen it now, and I think we'll continue to see that the advisors will take control of the, of the industry, which, which is good. I think that's the right thing to do. But you ask about the future of licensing. Um, I believe we need to look at unpacking the whole model and structure and move towards something that's more beneficial to the advisor, the practice, and more importantly, the end client. I, I I do tend to agree with you there. I'm finding it hard at the moment where we're sort of where we're sitting and where we've come out of the past in the trenches of the last three years of, of working out how that's going to look um, and feel. Um, it feels that um, it, it feels that um, maybe we're not we're obviously not there yet. And you know, even even after 2026, I don't think we'd be quite ready um, to be called a profession. Whether we're whether we are or not, we'll we'll have to see. Um, it's just because we're going to have the right education, we're going to have the right education framework and and whatnot. It feels that we need to embed that a little more um, before we can have those advisors going direct. Um, but yeah, look, it, does, it seems to be where we're heading. Um, whether a licensee like uh, Affinia will, will flip into say more of a dealer, uh, group, dealer to dealer model, um, like what you're talking about, we'll, I guess we'll have to see. Great, uh, Rach and Alex, thank you so much for being on the AFA Gen X podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your insights today. Thank you, Ash. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, Rachel. Yeah, thanks, Alex. And, and thank you, Ash. Thanks for having me. We hope that you've enjoyed episode 11 of the AFA Gen X podcast. Thanks again to the AFA, Advice Intelligence, Rachel and Alex for contributing to this episode. See you soon.